turn together in the Word of God this evening to the Gospel of Matthew. And we're turning to chapter 27. The Gospel of Matthew, the chapter 27. And of course, that brings us once again uh, to read about Calvary and the great work of redemption that was accomplished by our Saviour upon that center tree. And tonight we're coming to uh, Matthew 27 and breaking in at the verse 45. And it makes reference to the sixth hour. And of course, that was the sixth hour of the Jewish day. And that was a reference to midday. And that was noontime. And so in Matthew 27, the verse 45, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earth quake, and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Amen. We'll end there at verse 54. And may the Lord add his blessing to the public reading of his own precious and infallible word. Amen. And we're turning together to the portion of Scripture we've read together from Matthew's Gospel. And that's the chapter 27. And we have read from verse 45 uh, down to the verse 54. And tonight, as I've indicated already, I want to speak on the significance of the rent veil. And when you look down this portion of Scripture to the verse 51, and we read the words there, And behold... The veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. The veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. That's what we want to think about in our gospel meeting this evening. But let's bow together in prayer. We'll ask the Lord for help as we come to the ministry of his word. Our gracious God and our loving Father, we do thank Thee for the great commission 
that thou hast given to thy children and to the church. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel unto every creature. And we ask, O God, that we might be found faithful in seeking to fulfill that command. And even tonight, O God, thou wouldst be pleased to draw near and to give help in the ministry of thy precious word. And grant, O God, it would be this evening in the power and in the demonstration of the Holy Spirit of God. We pray for thy children. Lord, further enlighten our hearts. We pray for those, our Father, that would be unconverted. And we ask for a burden. We ask, O God, for Calvary love within our hearts for the lost and for the dying. And even tonight, our Father, thou wouldst be pleased to pluck them as brands from out of the burning. Hear, O God, and answer prayer and abide with us now. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, the veil mentioned in our text of Scripture is mentioned, of course, in connection with Calvary. And it's mentioned in connection with the great redemptive work that the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished at Calvary. But the veil itself is not at Calvary. It is called in our text the veil of the temple. And the temple would have stood nearby. And if you're familiar with the layout of the temple, it was like that of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And you would know that there were three different sections. There was the first section, which is called the outer court. And the outer court of the temple, well, that was for everyone. And the ordinary individual could enter into the outer court. But then the second section of the temple was called the holy place. And it was only the priests who could enter in to the holy place. And then the third section of the tabernacle and of the temple was referred to as the holy of holies or the most holy place. And it was there that only the high priest could enter in. The high priest could only enter in once every year. It was called the Day of Atonement. And on that Day of Atonement, the high priest, and not without blood, he dare not enter into the most holy place without the sacrificial blood. But he there on that particular day, once in the year, he could enter within the most holy place and he could sprinkle the blood upon the mercy seat and he was making atonement for the sins of Israel. And so you think about these two places. There was the holy place and then there was the most holy. And between those two areas... Between those two places, there was the veil. And the veil hung by way of dividing those two places. Within the most holy place, there was the Ark of the Covenant. 
And the lid of the Ark of the Covenant was, in effect, the mercy seat. And there above the mercy seat, it was the Lord himself who had promised his ancient people that he would meet with them there. Way back in the Old Testament, when those instructions were being given concerning the building of the tabernacle and these different places, in Exodus 25 and the verse 22, the Lord said, And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony. And so the Lord was saying, it's there that I will meet with thee. Also in Exodus 30 and in the verse 6, the Lord repeats it there again. And he says in Exodus 30 and the verse 6, I will commune with thee there. And so that means that there, right in the most holy place, above the mercy seat, there was that pillar of cloud. And that pillar of cloud was the symbol of the divine presence. The Lord himself was in the most holy place. It was the Lord there abiding in the midst of his people there in the tabernacle. And it is very clear that to enter through the veil into the most holy place was in effect entering into the presence of Almighty God. And therefore it could only be by the high priest once every year on behalf of the people to come with the blood of the sacrifice and to sprinkle the mercy seat that atonement might be made. There you can think of that veil, that veil that was hanging there between those two areas. That's the veil we're thinking about tonight. The veil that is mentioned in our text of Scripture. As we think about it for just a short time together tonight, I want you to think firstly about the purpose of the veil. The purpose of that veil, going back to the book of Exodus and to the chapter 26, it actually gives us some details there about the veil. There is a detailed description given in Exodus 26 and the verse 31. Let me read it to you. And thou shalt make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet, and fine twined linen of cunning work, with cherubims shall it be made. And the Lord gave there these specific instructions concerning the construction of the whole tabernacle. And here in this verse, it's the veil that he's speaking about, the material of it. It would be fine twined linen. The linen being White, And that white, fine, twined linen is speaking to us of purity. And of course, it is pointing us to consider the Lord Jesus Christ and his purity. He is the one who is without sin, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. 
and the fine twined linen is pointing us to the Savior. The purity of Christ. Every detail of the tabernacle. Every detail of it, every piece of furniture in it, it's all pointing us to a different aspect, a different attribute of the Savior. And here it's the veil. The fine twined linen, his purity. Then the colors are given there. And it was to be blue. Blue's the color of heaven. Blue speaks to us about heaven. And when you're referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the one who came down from heaven. He's the one who came into this world, uh, the pure, perfect Son of God. He came from heaven. The color of scarlet is mentioned there in the making of this veil. It's to be of fine twined linen. It's to be blue. It's to be scarlet. The scarlet... The scarlet blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood that he poured out as he suffered upon that center tree, the veil is pointing us to Christ and all of his sufferings upon Calvary. It's to be fine twined linen, it's to be blue, it's to be scarlet, it's to be purple. The purple, as we have learned afresh in recent days, purple is the color of royalty. There's the very kingship of Christ. There you can see how this veil is pointing us to the Savior. And over in the book of Hebrews, that letter to the Hebrews in the chapter 10, there's a couple of verses that I just want to touch on here and I'll come back to a little later on. But Paul writes there in Hebrews 10 and 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. The veil, that is to say, his flesh. And so that veil there that we are thinking about and that's pointing us to the Savior, that veil is representing the flesh, the body, the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Exodus indicates to us as well how that veil was to be constructed. We think of a veil, we might think of a very thin veil. Just like a little net, it wasn't like that. We might think of it as a curtain, but really it was much more than a curtain. Alfred Edersham, a Jewish historian, he would tell us that when it came to the temple that we're referring to in our text of Scripture, this veil was somewhere in the region of 60 foot high. It was 30 foot wide. And significantly, It was about four inches thick. Four inches thick of fine twined linen. Do you see the strength that there would have been in this veil? It's Alfred Edersham who would say it took 300 in order to hang this particular veil. You can get something of 
the, the actual picture in your imagination when you think about this veil that was hanging and the very strength and thickness of it. But in Exodus 26, in the verse 33, it gives us the specific purpose of the veil. And thou shalt hang up the veil under the tax that thou mayest bring in thither within the veil the ark of the testimony, and the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. This veil shall divide. And it's to divide between the holy place and the most holy place. There that veil was to hang by way of a barrier And remember the Lord in his divine presence. He's there in the most holy place. And the veil was hanging by way of a barrier that man was prevented from coming before God. God dwelling in the holy place. And man viewing that veil knowing that he was not permitted to enter. Sinful man could not enter into the presence of almighty God. And Leviticus 16 and the verse 2 would tell us that if man was to enter in, it would be on the penalty of death. If he went through that veil, he went behind that veil, it meant death. So that veil was a dividing veil between God and man. And that veil, when you would look at it, it would speak of God's holiness. God is dwelling in the most holy place. That veil would also speak about man's sin. It's keeping man back. Man cannot enter into the presence of the Lord because of his sin. And the detail again is given in Exodus 26 and in the verse 31 that it tells us, With cherubim shall it be made. And so woven into the very fabric of this veil, there were cherubims. Cherubims are first mentioned in Genesis chapter 3. And you know right away in your mind, that's the chapter of the fall. That's the chapter that sin entered in. And we know that man, whenever he sinned, he was doomed to sorrow, toil, and death, and he was driven from the garden. And when God drove him from the garden, God put cherubims at the entering in of the garden. And with the flaming sword, they were to guard the way to the tree of life. And man was prevented from entering that part of the garden. And so when he looks here at the veil and he sees the cherubim, he knows that his sin, his sin has kept him back from entering into the very presence of the Lord. Man is prevented from having access there to God. And so man looking upon the veil, he will think of the holiness of God. But he will think of his own sinfulness, the sinner being shut out from the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 59, and there in the verse 2, it says, Your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. And that's what sin does for mankind. 
Sin will separate man from God. Our sins and our iniquities have separated between us and God. And you can therefore see the purpose of this veil. It's to keep man back from God. But secondly, tonight I want you to think about the parting of this veil. And that's what we read about in Matthew 27 and the verse 51. It says, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain. You see the word behold there. Whenever you read the word behold, my, it's drawing to our attention something that is of the utmost importance. You need to consider this. You need to behold this. You need to give it careful consideration. There's something here of great importance. There's something of a great truth. Behold the veil of the temple. It was rent. There, there was the parting of this veil. There was a miracle that took place here. And just at the end of the previous verse, you can see the very moment whenever this happened. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Just at that moment when the Savior died, just at that moment when he laid down his life at Calvary, it was at that point the veil of the temple was rent in twain. And the Holy Spirit says, Behold, there's something here that is important. Just at that point when the Savior was crucified, he was hung upon the cross in the third hour. The third hour. And we know as the Jewish day starts at 6 a.m., that was 9 a.m., the third hour. And we know from last time when we thought about the darkness, the darkness was from the sixth hour through to the ninth hour. That was through to 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And it tells us that it was about the ninth hour that Jesus cried with a loud voice and he yielded up the ghost. That ninth hour, that was the time of the evening sacrifice in the temple. And so the priests would have been gathering there in the temple and they would have had their service and their work in the temple and the preparation for the evening sacrifice. And they're there in the holy place and the veil is right before them. And they know that they're not permitted to enter in through the veil. But just as they're there at that very point when the Lord yields up the ghosts, at that moment the veil of the temple rent in twain before them. They, they would have been astonished. Here was a great miracle and it was performed by the Lord. Man could never have torn that, the thickness of that curtain, that veil. It had to be the work of God and it came from the top right down to the bottom. And the priest there that witnessed that, it wasn't open to the public ears. It was something that was private there just for the priest to see. But they would not have missed the significance of that. For the first time, they could see in. For the first time, they could go in. 
the way that had been closed, that way is now open. No more is it divided. This miracle, the rending of the veil, it meant the end of the Old Testament economy. It meant the end of all the temple sacrifices. It meant the end of all of the rituals and all of the ceremonies. And it meant for those priests, they were now redundant. The Lord Jesus Christ had shed his blood and died upon the tree. And the veil of the temple has been rent. The way is opened. The way of access to God is opened. Through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 6 and the verse 7, I'll not turn to it for the sake of time, but it says that a great multitude of the priests were obedient to the faith. A great multitude of the priests. Maybe those who had witnessed that veil in the temple being rent from the top to the bottom and knowing it was a miracle of God, a great multitude of the priests were obedient to the faith. They understood the significance of that. They came to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The purpose of the veil and the parting of the veil But thirdly, the promise of the veil. The veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And when you think about that, that brings promise to the sinner. That it is rent from the top to the bottom. In other words, the whole way. It has been opened up completely. It's not just partially here but it's completely opened up it's not halfway it's the whole way I think it's Luke's gospel that adds the detail that it was rent in the midst right in the very midst so not only from the top to the bottom but right right down the middle it were not over to one side Not in the corner, but in the middle, from top to bottom, signifying the way of access is completely opened. Do you see that message tonight? Do you see that promise, the promise of the rent veil? That through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the way to God is opened. Through the shedding of his precious blood, there's a way back to God. The veil is rent. The way of access is opened. I referred already to Hebrews chapter 10 and those two verses, 19 and 20. But returning to them now, given what we've said already about the veil and about the rending of the veil, come to those verses and go through them slowly now uh, to grasp the meaning of these, these words. The apostle writes, Having therefore, brethren, boldness, listen, to enter into the holiest. You see, in the Old Testament, they weren't permitted to enter into the holiest. But the apostle has seen here what has happened at Calvary. And he's saying now, the way is open. 
and we can come with boldness and we can enter in to the holiest. And remember, the high priest couldn't go in, not without blood. He had to have the blood of sacrifice. And the apostle says, we enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. That's the way in which we come to the Lord. That's the way by which we approach the Lord. That's the only way. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has died, because he has shed his precious blood, there's a way. Sinful, guilty, hell-deserving man is able to come and he's able to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Verse 20 describes it, says, by a new and living way. This is a new way. The Lord Jesus Christ has died to, to open up this new way. It's not the old way. The old way has now passed away. There's a new way. It's a living way. There's spiritual life. This, this living relationship with the Lord. And we enter there into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And as the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ was torn and as his precious blood was shed and as he suffered there in humanity upon the cross of Calvary, the veil is representing his flesh. Torn from the top to the bottom, rent in the midst, as it were. And through the veil of Christ's flesh, we can enter in. My Hebrews is a tremendous commentary upon this. The verses describe the very manner of our approach as we do come to enter into the very presence of the Lord. Verse 22 of Hebrews 10 says, Let us draw near. Oh, before under the Old Testament economy, you couldn't draw near. The apostle says, Now we can draw near. We can enter right into the Lord's immediate presence. We come by that new and living way. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We're coming there with that confidence, with that assurance that when we approach the Lord, my will not be struck down dead, will be accepted. Accept it on the grounds of the Saviour's precious blood and the work which he accomplished at Calvary. The promise is this tonight. The sinner is able to draw nigh to God, able to enter into the Lord's presence with that assurance that they will be accepted. That's why Paul said earlier in Hebrews in chapter 4 and the verse 16, come. Come boldly. Come boldly onto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. 
Do you see that wonderful message tonight about the rent veil? My, we're not barred from approaching the Lord. We don't have to go through any priest to the Lord. My, we're all priests now. The priesthood of believers, we can enter in ourselves. Sinful man is no longer shut out from God, no longer barred from God. The way is open. That way tonight, that only way, is through the Lord Jesus Christ. No wonder the Savior would say in answer to Thomas's question in John chapter 14, he said, Lord, we know not whether thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, and mark the words, but by me. There's no other way. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one and only exclusive way. But we're invited to come through him. He says, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. The veil is rent. The way is opened. Christ has died. He has shed his precious blood. If you've never come to him to obtain mercy and to obtain grace, then come tonight. Know the forgiveness of your sins. Know the salvation of your soul.